Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Welcome to yet another episode of the Lines Love by Donkeys podcast, the first and only, hopefully, election episode, because I even I don't hate myself this much. With me today is Francis from The Hell of a Way to Die, not Nate, uh, and Shocks, the guy we drag onto every fucking podcast now. What's up, guys? I'm, I'm excited. It's debate three, and instead of watching the debate, I'm far away from it, talking to you guys. And uh, I'm just hoping that uh, you weren't holding the uh, delay the heaven. When you just said uh, the only election episode you'll ever do. Uh, because, you know, there could be a second connotation to that. And, uh, you know, things are bad. Yeah, there could be no more elections. Right. Both Wouldn't of those things fun? are possible. But I think the more likely scenario is we are not around in four years. <laughs> um, now, I, I, obviously, we're not talking about this election. We're talking about a election. Uh, and I believe this is not the only time that we've recorded during a debate. Uh, because we're just not going to fucking watch that shit. Um, I'm talking about what is known now as the Battle of Athens. Uh, I have a little bit of an intro here, um, and I, I generally don't do this, but I have to frame this episode correctly. Uh, so for our foreign listeners, uh, or not American listeners, we have an election coming up, um, one that will surely not impact your everyday life. Um, the 2020 election has been, at least in my lifetime, one of the more contentious I can think of, not only from the candidates, but regular American people. Faced on either side with systemic corruption in our systems, police brutality, lies, and the soulless machinations of electoral system that mostly exist to churn through regular people as simply a combustible fuel for wealth and power hoarding, things seem more hopeless than ever. <laughs> That is why we're going to talk about how this exact thing happened in 1946 in a very small community in Tennessee and why it was solved through collective direct action by America's most powerful Antifa force ever assembled, that being World War II veterans and guns. And uh, they solved it with copious amounts of violence. Some, sometimes the troops are good. Let's find out if this is one of those times. I, I can rest assured this is going to be maybe the only time I ever do an episode <laughs> that's like veterans. Good, actually. Um, so before we get to talk about a whole bunch of angry veterans shooting at cops, which we'll get to, we have to talk a little bit about McMinn County, Tennessee, circa 1940, a place I had never heard of before this. Oh, I love I love McMinn County. It's big, big note in the in, in the punk scene for its uh, <laughs> for its uh, hoot nannies with mohawks. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I've had I've had many a, a good barn raising there. It's uh, it's a it's it's a deeply weird place. Um, I mean, I've never you know I, I keep I've like, only uh, driven through Tennessee, so I don't know. 
I mean, I keep my summer home there. Few people know this. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I actually commute back and forth between Boston and uh, Big Bend County, Tennessee. Uh, I would I, love, I would <laughs> love to take to take you and throw you in a Kentucky holler somewhere, and just like, not because I think you'd get like fucked up, but just you speak. It's such a different language. It's two completely different languages would be getting spoken there. I mean, so we should absolutely do that. We'll we'll bring we'll bring the Boston boy down to the Midwest. We'll get you a hot dish. We'll uh, we'll go. Uh, great. We'll meet halfway know, with the uh, before the everybody yells at me. I know Kentucky isn't the fucking Midwest. I know. <laughs> I'm, Arguable. Sorry, I, Arguable. I know we're gonna get yelled at about that. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, I managed to survive in Kentucky for three years, uh, though even m- my way of speaking was thought of as very strange. Um, I mean, because locals. it is. I mean, you know, Michigan. And it's only three hours away from where I, where I grew <laughs> up. Uh, now, this is northern Kentucky. I can't say anything for southern Kentucky. I've never been there. Um, so Athens, Tennessee is a town of barely 7,000 people, or was. I have no idea how many people live there now. Um, it's a town that was so rural that, uh, it wasn't really a question of if you were a farmer, but which farm you worked at, uh, the, the towns were, or the town's roads were all unpaved and most daily conversations were like crop related or talking about the ongoing war politics was something most normal people simply did not give a shit about, uh, because it, it was innocent and, you know, small town stuff. Nobody cared. Um, The nearest thing that you could consider a city was 50 miles away, a long distance when you consider most people had no means of transportation. Um, And it was also a city that was so small that it still didn't really affect Athens' everyday life in any meaningful way. It wasn't a big city. It was just big and compared to Athens. It was not a village. It was not. Yeah. Um, Now, there's another good reason as to why politics were something most people like kind of didn't care about. Um. Most southern states at the time, you know, before the southern strategy hit, uh, like Athens and McMinn County, were thoroughly under the control of Democrats. And that control was unbroken and unchallenged. I'm not going to go into the southern strategy. That's for someone to scream at Dinesh D'Souza about in his Twitter comments. Um, But, like, yeah, it hadn't hit yet. Now, political control was much different than what we understand today, where people are just kind of racist and throw Bibles at people. Instead, it was a political system that was enforced to control by regional bosses. Uh, now, I use the term bosses very purposefully because it was pretty much a mob show. Uh, in this, in so, this case, so warlords. Yeah, it, warlords right. if they were significantly less cool. Well, or like, uh, like Tammany Hall. If they had a whole bunch of like T-55 you know, tanks. Uh, that hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> I know. I know. T-32 tanks. What, what did the Russians have during the revolution? T-34s. T-34s. Uh, McMinn County wishes they actually, this whole series, this whole episode would be significantly <laughs> cooler if the veterans brought tanks back with them. <laughs> uh, so in this case, this whole system was ran by a guy named E.H. Crump, which might be the most Southern 1940s name I have ever fucking heard. Um, Crump had been the former mayor of Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee, but actually got thrown out of office when it became obvious that he was making a fuckload of money off prohibition and was actually more of a mob boss than a politician. (laughs) Um, but that did not mean that he fell from power. And actually he managed to get more of it, uh, because being an overt crime boss meant that he could just do more things openly when he was no longer in public office. Uh, and once he was kicked out of office, he became significantly more powerful than he ever was as the mayor of Memphis. 
Um, he used money in backroom deals and mostly like some pretty serious blackmail to effectively control every major seat of power in the state. This includes the governor. Um, now, like if now if you happen to run in any of these places where he happened to hold sway, uh, you had to prove it to him that you would benefit him, like you being elected or running for this office would benefit him. And if you tried to run without his say so, he would just crush you with immense resources. Um, Thank God politics like, aren't like that anymore. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, this meant that if like if people got elected, they would almost only be running against other people that he had previously supported, but had run like run afoul of him in some way. Um, oh, we- and I know weird. what I'm. I'm just. <laughs> what were you saying? I was just gonna say weird. I, I can't imagine something like that. Anyway, now to take a big sip of whiskey and turn to uh, every every part of the primary. You know, before now. Yeah, and I, I understand a lot. What I'm, I'm, I'm describing is uh, just seems like modern politics. This was new for the time, <laughs> uh, and like, the, like Trump's people didn't win just by like funneling money behind people. It was almost always back, uh, like the backbone of all of his operations were massive voter fraud, intimidation, ballot stuffing. Uh, like he, w- he was just a straight up criminal. Um, so, like, if you got rid of those two things, he could just work for either one of the political parties. Though, actually, voter intimidation is... Uh, and if you live in California, voting fraud or electoral fraud, hot topic uh, by putting up fake ballot boxes uh, if you're the Repu- California Republican GOP. Um, now, in McMinn County, this didn't mean a whole lot uh, to them because they were so small that Crump didn't actually care to take over their local politics. Uh, that changed in 1936 when a guy named Paul Cantrell ran for county sheriff. Uh, he was from a different county, and the townsfolk really didn't like people from coming outside their county coming in and taking power. So there was a pretty vigorous campaign against him. But the, since Cantrell was handpicked by E.H. Crump, uh, he won in a landslide. Um, and everybody accused him of stealing the election, but because the sheriffs were in control of the elect of the ballot boxes, there was no proof. Uh, so they couldn't challenge it. <laughs> Weird how that happens. So, okay. So is the, is the belief that they fuck with the ballots themselves or that they're just, cause I mean, in, in a small community like this, I don't see how you can really like, um, I don't know, like you can't Mitch McConnell it, right? Where you just like buy your seat with a huge war chest because nobody lives there. You know, I don't, I don't know. I'm just curious how that works. So generally, it was just overt bribes, um, hmm. bribes, uh, blackmail, things like that. Um, we'll talk about it a little bit later. But for okay. instance, um, like McMinn County, uh, the, the 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 ballot boxes are centralized and protected in the jail by the sheriff. Uh, until ele- uh, until like uh, the commission could come and pick them up or count them physically, so they're mm. all alone with the ballot boxes for hours. <laughs> well, and, and so I guess I mean you know kind of getting to Francis, is this like more of a case of like ballot stuffing or is this more a case of like yes. okay, I you know just curious too because one of the things I like I don't know particularly over the course of like the last like uh you know a uh, few months of the election and whatever you know, one of the things I've been thinking about it you know. The idea of secret ballots and everything is like such a recent phenomenon, you know, like it used to be like, you know, back in like the 1800s and the early 1900s, even, you know, when you went to go vote, you went to go vote in like the, you know, particularly in smaller communities, you went to go vote in the local town square and just kind of like had to cast your ballot essentially in front of everybody. So like there were more like kind of over, 
attempts at intimidation because, you know, they knew like if you, you know, voted for not their guy. So I don't know if it's, you know, more like that or if it's just like they're, you know, or it's more like a, you know, North Korean thing where, you know, you get 105% yeah, of the vote. Um, yeah, like a lot of that is true to an extent. Yeah. Um, some of it is like, uh, like poll taxes were a thing. Uh, in this election, because yeah. it's 1946, right? And uh, they would, uh, if you happen to not have the receipt for your poll tax, which is actually kind of common, um, and you, they knew you were going to vote for someone that they supported, they'd allow you to cast your ballot anyway. Stuff like that. Okay. Um, so it's did- it's all pretty overtly corrupt to the point that everybody knew about it. Yeah. But there was no proof. Okay. So and just kind of like mattered anyway. Yeah, and it wouldn't have mattered anyway because many members of the uh, electoral commission were also chosen by Crump. Okay, so it's it's not great. So um, I'm just kind of like getting <laughs> you coming and going. Like it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like even if it doesn't, things don't work out. Like stuff in the ballot box, you know, like you're still gonna, uh, you know, it's it's gonna go to like the commissioners who are appointed by him anyway. And nobody's looking too hard into it. Yeah, uh, right. which, which which is why we got to the where we're going to. Um, now you're probably wondering like why sheriff, like why not just go for mayor, which, you know, he eventually does, but like sheriff seems kind of unimportant, uh, position for a guy as powerful as Crump to try to steal. Right. It helps to understand just how the position worked at the time. Uh, now without going into the history of law enforcement too much, uh, which is something I'm not going to fuck with. Robert Evans did a great series on it called behind the police. I encourage you to listen to, to talk about that a little bit more, but the ideas of like a civil service and like the concept of like professional law enforcement uh, hadn't really been introduced to the area or most areas for that matter. Thankfully, all of those problems have since been ironed out and the American <laughs> people have the utmost confidence in their local law enforcement. Um, but rural sheriffs, like the elected position, were paid, but their deputies were not. Instead, they would earn their paychecks through kickbacks to the amount of people they arrested, booked, and incarcerated. A portion of that money would then go to the sheriff, and then a portion of that money would then go to Crump and his functionaries. So, like, it's nothing but a series of kind of like kickbacks. Um, so, so it's civil asset forfeiture, but with like out so much of the formality. Right. Um, and, I mean, there was paperwork involved, uh, and if that sounds like like all this money sounds like not a whole lot for a guy as rich and powerful as Crump, you'd be right. This is called a bounty system, and it made money, but it required record keeping because, like, this is a legal bounty as prescribed by the state, and you had to give evidence for that. So it was much easier to just arrest people and force them into bribing you at higher rates than the bounty system would pay. Mm. Um, the more money you had, the more money they would take, which is a shockingly progressive system of highway banditry, I guess. <laughs> um, but you do not, in fact, have to hand it to the corrupt cops. Um, uh, this also meant that things like gambling dens, organized crime, uh, moonshiners, and stuff like that would run rampant as long as they simply paid their bribe. Um, operations who didn't would then be closed down, and then they or like the cops would seize them and then rent them out to people who knew that like they knew would pay their bribes. Um, so they were a mob, pretty much. They were just a giant gang. Oh, solid Uber, but for moonshine. This works yeah, for me. Yeah. I mean, this 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 frankly speaks to me, and I I I look forward to learning more about this startup. Except, uh, I guess moonshine without like the O's and the E and the I. Minchin, <laughs> Minchin. I think they just yeah, it, it's just soylent, but in the woods. Um, <laughs> like the uh, 
the extent of this corruption was so open that it was kind of known statewide that, it, hey, if you want to do some crimes, Athens is the place to do it. Um, so another reason, uh, another reason that Crump installed sheriffs like Cantrell in small towns was it was to get a foothold in the area uh, because he had uh, designs and larger office and power. Um, because like we talked about a little, they, the sheriffs kind of controlled the election. Um, yeah. you'd bring your ballot by hand to a ballot box, uh, which then after you, after, you know, the polls were closed, those boxes would then be secured by the sheriffs and delivered to the jail for counting. Uh, meaning if technically, if you had a sheriff who then remember hires all of his deputies, um, you control every election, assuming that you hire a crooked piece of shit to be sheriff or at least finagle a crooked piece of of shit sheriff into office which is what he did um in 1940 election sent george woods a guy on cantrell's payroll to the state legislature uh woods promptly introduced quote an act to redistrict mcminn county um it, it reduced the number of voting precincts from 23 to 12 and cut down the number of justices of the peace from 14 to 7. Of these seven, four were openly being paid by Cantrell. Uh, when, government, uh, when Governor Prentice Cooper, again, great Southern name in the 40s, <laughs> uh, signed Woods's bill into law on February 15th, 1941, it effectively, uh, like any... Republican opposition died in McMinn County because now every layer of the power structure is being paid by Crump or Cantrell or both. Um, it, it's like a pyramid scheme for political construct construct. Like the, these his upline. <laughs> <laughs> they're sitting there selling uh, it works body wraps. Brain pills. So like, like we've kind of talked about before, this might just sound like politics being politics to us, but McMinn County is and was a deeply strange place in American political history. For instance, during the Civil War, Tennessee was on the side of the Confederacy, though it was pretty contested and Tennessee supplied uh, more regiments to the Union than any other Confederate state, which was pretty common. Uh, but also, McMinn County was deeply in the, in the, in the Confederate part of it. And they sided with the Union, just a single county. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, in the 1800s, when Spain and the U.S. was on the verge of war, the county itself declared war first. (laughs) Wait, uh, uh, Um, on who? Just to be clear. Spain. All right. I just just want to make sure. You you never know. It just randomly declares war on the U.S. (laughs) Some fucking hard people come from Mickman County, man. I hope they got that on a T-shirt. It's like a, a deep independent streak, right? Like, so when these outsiders moved in to do their bullshit, they were pretty upset. Um, and there's a, actually a good hint that Cantrell and Crump wouldn't be able to pull this off if it wasn't for a little thing called World War II going on at the time. Um, because despite the population of the county being kind of low, a huge amount of the, of the population left to go fight the war. 10% of all men left the county to go fight and shoot Nazis in the face. Um, this drained the county of manpower, but also like actual people to stand up against political corruption. Um, people in the town suffering under political repression and overt oppression of Cantrell openly began to say, wait until the GIs get back. Shit will be different. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Wait till so, your dad gets home. <laughs> no, there's yeah, a t-shirt. Uh, so in 1945 and 1946, that exact thing began to happen. 
Um, and they weren't like returning home uh, not knowing what was happening. They knew and had been he- hearing rumors through letters and everything else, uh, especially because this is a very small town and word travels very fast among soldiers from McMinn County. Uh, and they've heard, they already heard about Cantrell and his goon squad. Uh, their parents had written them letters about the thugs in uniform who had been terrorizing the town. And there was even a pretty well-known story of one soldier going home on leave and getting jumped and beaten to death by the cops over his paycheck. Um, so, like, everybody knew some shit was going down as soon as they got home. Um, according to local veteran Bill White, everybody knew about it, uh, but, like, they tried to push it from their head because, remember, they're going home for the first time and for some of them in years. Uh, and at the time, soldiers who uh, who were getting out of the military, being mustered out, so to speak, got an allowance of, in like hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And they would just be given to them in a, in a lump sum. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, which sounds like a very bad thing to do. Uh, and they, of course, these teenagers and people in the mid, in the early mid twenties or whatever, would immediately go out and spend it on bars, uh, getting fights and stuff like that. Uh, and this is when they met the local cops. The cops knew about the mustering out pay, so they'd come up with reasons to arrest the soldiers, steal their money, and throw them in jail to collect the bounty, uh, which is fucked up. Um, and then uh, af- after more than one soldier got his ass beaten, robbed by the cops, the veterans started to get pretty pissed off. This is, um, this is like the first time I, I feel like, but they're veterans. How do you do that to them? Like, but I mean, it's you World know, War II veterans. Obvi- yeah. Right, obviously not me and Joe because we went to a shithead war. But you know, these people like fought Nazis for a while. I don't understand being like, yeah, now we're gonna steal their money and shit on them a little bit. Like, there was just a war, man. Leave them alone. Yeah, you would think if like, uh, like I get like uh, maybe other war veterans, uh, especially like Vietnam, were treated with like apathy, like nobody really cared all that much. Uh, Or if you believe in some stories, outright disgust, like. If there's one generation of veterans, everybody's like, yeah. even like the shitty mobster cops, like, yeah, can't ar- can't jump those guys. It would be like World War II vets, but they're like, no, nah, fuck them, steal their paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like, so eventually a collection of these veterans got together in 1946 and decided they had enough of this shit. But unfortunately for them, they believed in electoralism. So uh, as <laughs> Cantrell was running for office. Oh, you, oh, you dumb bitch. <laughs> oh, you sweet yeah. summer child. Yeah, and they will quickly learn that electoralism works when it's backed with a gun. <laughs> so uh, Cantrell was running for re-election, so they decided to stand against him and everyone he supported for uh, various different local offices. Uh, the veterans didn't much care about politics or political parties. They didn't actually have any stances except fuck that guy. So they formed a completely nonpartisan political party that really didn't have any stances other than your vote will be counted. Like that was like, we won't steal your vote. We won't steal the election. Just just vote for us and don't vote for Cantrell. That was it. Um, I've heard worse. Yeah, like, like, look, we'll figure it out when we get elected, but at least we won't steal your shit. Uh, <laughs> and, like, admittedly, it was a good choice because there are veterans of, you know, years-long, horrible overseas war. They're not going to be intimidated by violence by, like other people had been. Like, okay, I'm, they're like, if anybody is more comfortable with violence, it'd be people who just came <laughs> back from World War II. Do you think I have a problem with killing people? Well, it's also just like, you know, <laughs> yeah. just a lot of people running for office with a lot of untreated PTSD. 
Absolutely. Yeah, and, and you're going to see shines of that throughout this entire incident. <laughs> They're like, cause like they, it's very obvious that these guys only know how to solve their problems through violence on both sides. And like one side isn't used to being having violence being visited against them. And the, the whole time the veteran's like, no, I'm going to go get my gun and we'll solve this. <laughs> um, so to run against Cantrell, they chose a hard motherfucker named Knox Henry. Uh, he had fought in North Africa, been wounded multiple times, and had a local reputation for being quick to get into and fight fist fights and drinking a lot <laughs> i mean i wouldn't fight a guy named knox henry like yeah. if i was at a bar and some guy said his name was knox henry and we were having words be, no i'm good i don't want that <laughs> i don't want none of that smoke uh now i don't know if any of those things would be the main trait i would be looking for for someone running for public office but like different times man i don't know we've done uh, worse if we're honest i mean you know absolutely yeah i know some, i mean he didn't he's not a sex bar flies. we got that going for us yeah I know some barflies had probably left um, the office. I mean, they couldn't be any worse than like a lot of other people. Soon, rumors of trouble began uh, between the two sides, and it became pretty obvious that things were going to get out of control. Uh, so the mayor of Athens decided that he was just going to leave town, uh, and he took a, a nice long vacation. <laughs> just, just the mayor left. Um, <laughs> like I'm getting the fuck out of here. Uh, this unfo- like this cowardly ass move ceded control of the town to the sheriff because apparently towns were weird back then. Like if the if the mayor of Honolulu decided to just leave, it's not like the chief of police is like I am king now. <laughs> well, I I imagine when you're living in a community that only has like seven thousand people, you're just like, look, and for whatever reason, if the mayor goes on vacation, I'm the interim mayor or whatever like you know it's a it's a progression that wouldn't happen in honolulu but now during all this cantrell decided that he might actually lose so he decided to spread stories and rumors that his deputies had caught veterans printing up fake ballots uh so they could rig the election the veterans countered that if anybody could bring one of these fake ballots uh that they supposedly create they'd pay you a thousand dollars uh nobody could because they didn't exist um and uh, so the veterans decided once again to simply like their campaign slogan was like, your vote will be counted. They'll be. And furthermore, they will make sure of it. Um, so like uh, then things began to get heated up between the two sides uh, with other towns and counties like uh, neighboring counties and stuff. Uh, that knowing exactly what kind of person Cantrell was and what he would do. So like veteran groups from other counties reached out to the McMinn County veterans like, hey, do you guys need backup? We'll make sure the cops can't rig the election. <laughs> so we also would like to come and do violence, please. <laughs> yes, we would also like to commit violence against the cops. <laughs> Just every single one of them remembering a really bad exchange they had with MPs while they were deployed or whatever. <laughs> So in response, Cantrell brought in dozens and dozens of hired goons, many of whom were just criminals, thieves, and mobsters from Georgia. He deputized them, armed them with uh, pistols, shotguns, and Tommy guns, and stationed them throughout every ballot box in the county. Now, we need to, be, we need to, to, to clarify, because you know this is Joe's podcast, we're talking about the state of Georgia, not the Soviet uh, Georgia country, correct? Uh, actually, no, he flew in a whole bunch of people named like Georgi Shakasvili and armed them to the teeth. The, you only um, you only think that Joe Stalin died. He actually ended up uh, fighting a fucking war in tennis in uh, Kentucky. <laughs> the last it's like a Harry Turtledove uh, novel. The last days of Stalin It's him, him getting uh, getting gunned down by a sheriff during an election. In yeah, like butt fuck Tennessee defending his fucking still. 
Just like, you know, just like fucking shooting it out with like revenue agents. Like, you know, they didn't like that. He brought, they didn't like that. He brought that fancy vodka down here and it started to undercut their whiskey sales. <laughs> this, this Stalin is much better. <laughs> um, now, now I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to be a hairy turtle dove tanky now. <laughs> this is a or much better love- version of Stalin. Yeah, I'm gonna write this book and then I'm gonna say no. This is the this is the only Stalin I stand now. Is the one who decided to leave it all behind after World War II and uh, went and ran for local politics and booted a whole bunch of like corrupt cops out of uh, this. I mean, come on, this is this is the exact movie that uh, America needs right now. I mean, I'm excited for the Louisville Soviet. If I'm honest, <laughs> uh, like I'm excited to see where this one goes. I'm I'm willing to hear it out. Um, so when voting day began, hundreds of new deputies and hundreds of veterans flooded Athens. Um, but the deputies began to arrest legally appointed poll watchers, uh, because, you know, there's such thing, uh, poll watchers aren't just like weird militia types with guns. Um, they're a legal entity that exists. Um, that's what you call the guy who has to, uh, administer the urinalysis. I mean that's been uh, that's been a whole nice. so on Twitter over the course of the past week, if we're honest. <laughs> so seeing this, hundreds of veterans gathered outside a local shop, knowing that something was up. They knew at four p.m. when the polls closed, the cops would take all the ballots back to the jail to be counted. At which one point, they would then just steal the election. So like, the actual casting of ballots was kind of a formality. Some veterans said they should immediately mobilize and chase the cops off from the polling station by force and then take them over. Um, The idea was turned down for fear of creating an open battle with the cops or unarmed civilians. Um, Because I should be clear here, the civilians 100% support the veterans, um, (laughs) which will become increasingly obvious. Uh, But the decision was made that anyone who didn't have a weapon with them should go home and get theirs and then come back just in case. Um, (laughs) Though most of them had brought their weapons. (laughs) By uh, 3 p.m., Tom Gillespie, who is an elderly black farmer, stepped in the 11th precinct polling place. A guy named Wendy Wise, who was a Cantrell deputy. Wait, none of these are real names. Wendy Wise. That's like that can't be. That's that's just not a name. It's just definitely a, a like a, a mobster name. Hunter's like, go get Wendy. <laughs> uh, no, not dumb Wendy. Wendy Wise. <laughs> <laughs> he told Gillespie, hey, N-word, you can't vote here. When Tom protested and pulled out his uh, his um, his receipt for his poll tax, because that's normally you know why poll tax existed, was to stop black people from voting, uh, Wise struck him in the face with brass knuckles. Uh, Gillespie dropped his ballot and turned and ran for the door. So Wise pulled out a pistol and shot him in the back as he as he reached the sidewalk because state-sanctioned murder of black people in the U.S. is as tale as old as time. Thankfully, this doesn't happen anymore. Um, now, remember, this is broad daylight in the middle of a crowded place. Um, and it was, it was a, the waterworks building was this particular ballot. Um, so like angry people began to gather like you just shot that fucking unarmed person in the back um so deputies panicked and locked themselves inside of the of the waterworks building and they also took two veteran poll watchers with them hostage um because when you've already done this many shitty things you might as well just keep going right um soon crowds began to once you reach a felony you know you might as well just keep going for it you know just i don't know just rack them up 
if there's one safe place to commit a hate crime in the, in America, it's 1940s Tennessee. <laughs> um, but actually, yeah, fair enough. And if they're not, if they're about to, if if a cop is about to not get away with shooting an unarmed black person in Tennessee in 1940s, that man is probably going to die. And I hope that's that where the story goes. You know, what's actually shocking is uh, people were quite upset about this obvious instance of racial violence um, because crowds began to form and heckle them for shooting an unarmed man in the back. Um, and when a few unarmed veterans approached the building to be like, hey, what the fuck? Why is pointing a gun at them? To which point a veteran responded by yelling, quote, let's go get our guns. <laughs> <laughs> and then running back to where they had stored their guns. <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> that's a perfect. That's a perfect uh, lions led by donkey quote. The lions led by donkeys. Let's go get our guns. It sounds like something out of a fucking like Mel Brooks film. Like you know, like that's like a line out of like Blazing Saddles. Like ah, oh, let's go get our guns, and then like everyone just runs off and gets their guns. Yeah, like you. That's that's like a filler for a western. Um, but the chief deputy. Uh, heard that uh, and and dispatched two cops to follow them and arrest them when they went to go get their guns. <laughs> I honestly don't think that this they had broken a law yet, um, but like whatever, they're corrupt. Um, and when the cops came upon them at the store where they had had their guns and had been full of other veterans with guns, the cops were then taken captive <laughs> at gunpoint. So two more were sent to see what happened to the first two, um, and a crowd of townspeople formed outside the shop. Uh, where the veterans had turned into like their headquarters and um, to see what was going on because they saw like a fist fight break out and like a cop get uh, cops get jumped and whatever. Um, and they also went to cheer them on for fighting the cops. Uh, so when, when those cops showed up, when the next group of cops showed up uh, armed and with their guns drawn, the crowd turned on them and began to beat them and drug them inside for the veterans. <laughs> so like uh things are getting rapidly out of hand here <laughs> are we talking like so like do you know like are we talking like where like all the uh well the cop like all the sheriff's deputies at this point where they all just carrying like i don't know like a 38 revolver or something or were they like some of them know? had shotguns and tommy guns okay and then like <laughs> they didn't, because remember they, you can buy a tommy gun at the hardware store yeah they weren't all piled into an mrap with a with an eldar on top of it <laughs> no, no. Um, the crowd began, then began to demand that the veterans kill the cops for revenge for <laughs> shooting Tom Gillespie. And the and some of the like half the veterans were like, "Yeah, all right, uh, we we should do that's fair. Like they shot one of us, we should shoot one of them." But several others didn't suddenly want to like find themselves executing cops in the street, uh, which like good good call. Weak, weak. <laughs> That uh, that that post nut clarity, you know, yeah. just like, ooh, wait a minute, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, let's not let's not murder people for yeah, a minute. Yeah, let, let's not start killing people yet. Um, but they did fear for their captives' lives should they leave the shop and the townsfolk like descend upon them and tear them apart. So the captives were then driven ten miles outside of town and chained to some trees uh, to save them from the people that they have been terrorizing. Um, Meanwhile, at a different polling station, two watchers named Harold and Dooley, again, great Southern names, uh, <laughs> looked on in growing frustration as deputies allowed people without poll tax receipts, people who were minors, and from people who were just out of town to vote, you know, doing voter fraud. Um, 
Finally, Harold had enough as he watched an underage cousin that he knew to be Cantrell's cousin uh, to hand her ballot to a cop, which then the cop was going to put in the, in the polling box or the ballot box. He then grabbed the cop's wrist to stop them from putting it in the ballot box. The cop then produced a blackjack and beat the ever-loving <laughs> shit out of Harold. A task made significantly easier by the fact that Harold had lost his arm and most of the fingers on the other hand in fighting in North Africa. Cool. Good. Yeah. So I, yeah. Real, real, real good there, cop. Uh, the cops enclosed the polling place and took the two veteran poll watchers hostage, which seems to happen a lot. Um, seems to be a growing theme for these cops. Yeah. Uh, by now, it was 6 p.m. and people were mad, but just beginning to think this election was like all the others and there was nothing that they could do to stop the fraud. The ballot boxes had been brought to the jail and the day was lost had been stolen again despite their best efforts. This included many of the veterans, but not a guy named Bill White, a veteran of the Pacific and all-around bad motherfucker. Uh, Bill is still alive and does interviews about this from time to time, and he's fucking hilarious. You need to get him on. You absolutely need to do an interview about it then. He's in his, like, 90s. I don't know if he still can, uh, but I'm, I'm willing to try. Um <laughs> A lot of this information comes from a book that he was heavily interviewed for, as well as the oral history that he put forth for McMinn County on the, on this, because this might shock you. People really don't like to talk about this. Uh, it, like It's more of a local history thing. So Bill gathered what he called the fighting group. Uh, it was about a dozen veterans. He grabbed a truck and made for the local National Guard armory. <laughs> According to White, he, quote, broke down the armory doors and took all the rifles, two Thompson submachine guns, and all the ammunition we could carry, loaded up in a two-tongue truck, and went back to the GI headquarters and passed out 70 high-powered rifles and two bandoliers of ammunition to each person. Let's go get our guns indeed. <laughs> uh, yeah. At this point, Cantrell, a, a guy named Mansfield, who is a state representative, and about 50 deputies were locked in the jail with the ballot boxes. With them were two members of the election commission, counting the votes and almost certainly fucking with the results. So the GIs gathered across the street and then put someone in the high ground with a Thompson submachine gun so they could have like covering fire. Because remember, they're... They just did this for real, like a lot. <laughs> um, and they're now everybody is very heavily armed, and more than a few were very drunk. <laughs> I mean, this is just this is like the you know uh, the oh I got one last job to do. It's just like oh, I don't, but you really love that last fight. Yeah, like at this point, all of them are just looking for a reason to fuck someone up with the grand that they stole, <laughs> but like also for the right reasons. I mean, like it's just kind of funny because like. You know what is it? The uh, all the news about the those uh, Michigan militia weirdos came out like what, like two weeks ago, and they were doing like you know like fifteen different like slow passes past the governor's mansion, and then like talking about like you know like Google and shit on like you know Mackinac Island and whatever, and then like meanwhile these guys just like drove like looted the National Guard armory and just like figured the shit out. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I haven't looked into that a whole lot, even though I'm from Michigan. Did they really start looking into Mackinac Island of all places? Yeah. So last I heard, they, so they it's were a looking at place that sells fudge. Yeah. Well, so that and like and of course, like infamously, like does not have cars and like yeah, is only serviced by only a ferry. cars and ambulance. So yeah. like you know, you would have had to like <laughs> they would have had to like kidnap like the governor, I guess, like around her security detail. And then, like, bundle her into, like, they have carriages there. So, like, you know, like, bundle her into a carriage and then, like, get, I guess, like, bring her to a ferry and then hijack a ferry? 
Uh, it's very, which, like oh, very stupid. Which like we're talking like a you know like I mean don't get me wrong I I appreciate like when someone wants to like commit like a you know a historical crime in the modern day. So like it would have been cool <laughs> if they did like you know like a stagecoach robbery in like fucking twenty twenty. Um. And like piracy, horsebound militia raid. Yeah, like you yeah. know, like it'd be cool, like if they accidentally wa- like wandered their way into being like, you know, the you know the first dumb motherfuckers to like domestically get tied for you know tried for piracy since like I don't know, like who the fuck knows when. Like you know, motherfuckers would have actually ended up getting tried under Admiralty law. It would have been amazing. <laughs> it's every libertarian's wet dream. Yeah, like you know, they're actually would have been a fucking fringe on the flag and would have made some shit. You know, like original Title Three <laughs> jurisdiction, motherfuckers, but. Yeah, but no, supposedly they were also looking at the Mackinac Island, like, you know, governor's, like, resort, as well as her, like, actual, like, residence. God, that's so dumb. That's so dumb. I, I believe it. Um, speaking of, like, not dumb people from Michigan. <laughs> uh, so these, de- these, these veterans, right, gathered outside the jail. And then Bill White says that he did that. So it's actually really interesting that Bill White's admitting to all this. Because of like all the felonies I'm about to talk about. <laughs> also, they've already kidnapped like eight goddamn cops. <laughs> uh, Bill White screamed out from across the road uh, to bring to come out, bring all the ballot boxes, or they'd fucking shoot them. Um, and then, uh, uh, but it's more diplomatically laid out as lay siege to the jail. But like, you know. Uh, well, I, I'm willing to believe what White said is real because he's drunk and heavily armed. Um, a few deputies were outside of the jail for security and booked it for the jail door. And some historians argue over who shot first. But thankfully, Bill White irons all that out <laughs> by admitting that he shot first. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately shot a cop in the back with an M1 Garand. <laughs> <laughs> This caused everyone else in the GI crew to open fire, hitting another deputy. Um, and they like kind of like crawled their way inside. And then everybody just kind of openly just started waylaying the jail with fire. But that didn't do much because it's a brick building. Now, according to Bill White, several of the GIs had a moment of clarity, realizing this might be their last chance to run and get away with all of the laws they just broke because like nobody's entirely sure of who's in their group. Like, you know, that's anonymity in a large group. Um, but they had clearly done enough to spend the rest of their lives in prison. But Bill White had definitely done enough to be executed at this point. Um, but then the idea was kind of dropped and everybody just went back to shooting at the cops. Uh, which is a weird moment of solidarity. Like we're all going to be executed for this, but you know, we're all, we've gone too far. We might as well just keep shooting at the cops. Yeah. They're not going to unexecute us at this point. It's not going to, it's not going to get better. So we might as well go forward. When you also have yeah. to figure like, you know, these guys are in the, like the living memory of like, I don't know, like the, you know, the, uh, the army running down the bonus March and like, you know, a bu- and you know, like the, the history of labor actions from like thir- you know, the, 30 in the 20s 30s and through the 40s you know so like they're pretty used to at this point of just being like well i guess uh guess they're gonna kill us now if they catch us yeah like the i mean these guys were all pretty open with their exception like just accepting that they were gonna die but they yeah. didn't really care um which i could respect that um and this is also compounded by cantrell and mansfield who are screaming out the window that the state police or the national guard was on its way both of which was a complete lie. Um, funnier still, 
when they tried to have that happen, like Cantrell called the sheriff of Polk County and it's like, Hey, we need fucking backup and told him about the situation. The sheriff refused asking Cantrell quote, what do you think of fucking crazy? <laughs> uh, again, and maybe there's an off chance, uh, that like, the sheriff of Polk County was like, no, I kind of want the veterans to kill you. Uh, you're kind of a huge bastard. Um, that, like I said, that moment of clarity didn't last long, uh, because the cops opened fire, uh, returned fire rather, and wounded someone. And so several of the GIs began making Molotov cocktails and, uh, (laughs) others had raided the local hardware store for dynamite. Because hardware stores were way fucking cooler back then. Like you, you could buy a Tommy gun uh, at the at the hardware store alongside your do- dynamite until like the late forties, early fifties. Uh, way cooler. Um, <laughs> yeah, you used to be able to buy opium over the counter too. Like America was. It's wild that we survived. Like it's wild that anybody survived Victorian times. But also, while that as a species we managed to, you know, or as Americans we managed to to get through all of this stuff. Because if it wasn't like living in rural areas where just like dynamite was stacked on shelves next to Tommy guns and everybody could just get whatever <laughs> you wanted, it was you know living in New York City where like pestilence and dirt and horse shit all <laughs> over the place and stuff. You know, so like the fact that you know, and obviously it's not like this here in in 1945, but you know, just. We've managed to get through so much. So, well, I mean, like, I do you know, have to? I do have to have a little correction. Is until 1934 that you could buy a Tommy gun at a hardware store, but in 1946, dynamite was still cool. Yeah, I was gonna say like because I think there was a, you know, up until uh, the Heller decision issued uh, with the you know the fucking Roberts Court, there was like a fairly like settled precedent that like you were not entitled to just like buy assault weapons in uh, the United States. Um, like that was like definitely like a thing for like a long period of time, like you know, because like that was after like you know like prohibition and you know like fucking uh yeah you know like mostly Bonnie, what is Bonnie and Clyde and like cops yeah exactly I mean like you know it used to be the way that like you know the the cops would decide that they were going to outgun criminals so just by like you know restricting the sale of arms and not you know like you know buying a bunch of shit off the DOD um or like I guess being given a bunch of shit off the DOD but. I mean, even then, though, you know, the, the the idea that, like, you know, you know, during the Spanish, I mean, I was saying something like this a few days ago, like the the idea that, like, during the Spanish influenza epidemic, like, you know, you, I'm sure that there were probably newspaper articles about, like, ah, just take some patent medicine that's full of fucking cocaine and, like, you know, go to work. Like, it doesn't matter if your coworkers are dying. Like, you'll work double time. You'll work fucking 36 hours at a stretch. Like, it doesn't even fucking matter anymore. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if this is 2020, McMinn County would have just been given a Sherman tank, right? They would, yeah. Or like, you know, just an M2 Abrams, they would just driven one over from like Fort Knox. <laughs> Jokes on you. The motherfuckers are to break down 20 feet out the gate. Um, <laughs> I know I've worked on those tanks. They're awful. That's why, uh, that's why they break down 20 feet out the gate. Yeah. I can't change the oil out of my car, but here you go, kid work on this tank. I'm sure they'll be fine. Uh, so uh, when this is happening, when there's like a full like exchange of gunfire, straight up um, like 100% firefight going on, an ambulance appeared outside the jail, like pulled out, out of nowhere. So the GIs, thinking it was for taking away the wounded and dead, let it go by. Uh, they're like, well, you know, we would do this for the Nazis. I guess we should do this for the cops, too. Um, 
We, so should, they we should help. at least give them the Geneva Convention. Yeah, uh, which is more than they've ever given anybody in the town. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, they they were uh, they were waiting for like the the wounded and the dead to get loaded up. Um, so they they were waiting for the the wounded and the dead to get loaded up. And that's when they, when the ambulance is pulling away, they realize that just Cantrell and Mansfield were in the back. Uh, and they actually wo- left all the wounded behind in the jail. Um, <laughs> so they, they <laughs> got pretty pissed at that. It yeah. was just an escape route for him. So at 2 a.m., a drunk GI chucked a bundle of dynamite at the jail, but apparently <laughs> couldn't throw for shit. Uh, and the, the bundle landed short, exploded, and sent a patrol car flipping through the air, which admittedly is cool as hell. Uh, I mean, that fucking rules. <laughs> I think it was, it, and one of them was under Mansfield's personal car. Uh, so uh, Three more bundles were thrown, landing in a nearby porch, under uh, another under a patrol car, and then the third one finally landing against the jail wall, all of which exploded around the same time. Um, that rules. And yeah, so all they yeah they finally got a, a stick a bundle of dynamite to blow up against the wall. Um, when that happened, like it, it went off, and the GIs immediately rushed in for close combat uh, <laughs> because remember they just did this to like Nazis and Japanese soldiers. So they're like, oh, fine, whatever we can do this to Americans too. Uh, they like went <laughs> rushing in with like submachine guns and hand tools, um, only to find the deputies crying and surrendering with their hands in the air. Uh, and so they did. uh I believe that's what the kids call I mean, fucking around and finding out. <laughs> I'm sur- I'm surprised that they didn't like, as soon as Cantrell got bust out of there, but they left, uh, they, they left all the wounded. Like, I would have been like, oh, well, fuck this. I give up. I'm sorry. I didn't realize he was yeah. that big of a shithead. Right. Like, I'm not dying for management. Fuck that shit. Like, I can't imagine. I mean, maybe at this point, you know, when they're like, these guys are going to fucking murder us if we if we surrender. Um, because they seem like they might, you know, from all the machine gun fire. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I after watching my boss fucking escape and leave me behind, I would have I immediately ran into the woods. I would have done something. I wouldn't just sat there, uh, but whatever. Uh, but I'm also not a, a mobster turned cop, so you know whatever. Um, but you know when the when the when the the, the townsfolk saw that all of this was over, um, they descended upon the surrendering cops like a fucking plague. Um, so did let- the soldiers? Did, was it like one of those things where the soldiers were just like? You know, you're standing over him. It's just like, <clears throat> oh, we surrender, we surrendered. Like, oh, then now you, you're not going to let us die. It's like we're not going to kill you, but they are. And then all the, all the the people come in with like shovels and and rakes and stuff and kill them. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd, like, um, I'm like picturing like the last scene from what is it, the the beast? When they, oh yeah, when yeah. they had like all the women from the village just like go in and just like murder the shit out of the Soviets. Yeah, exactly. Um. Not on purpose. Uh, like I, I, d- <laughs> I, I don't think the GIs thought this was gonna happen because, like, why would would you expect your entire town to like lynch the cops? You know, uh, but you know the 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 GIs were like arresting them effectively, like doing a citizen's arrest, and then um, like grab the ballot boxes, and that's when like the the town pretty much let out ten years of pent up rage. 
Um, <laughs> a guy named Minus Wilberg. Uh, again, great. Just, just, name. just a lot of um, like fucking Stella name. Like also not for nothing, but like the existence of someone named Tipper Gore makes a whole <laughs> lot more sense now that I've heard the story. Uh, so minus tell me, was tell me known. About, tell me about minus, my new favorite person. He was known for being the worst cop in town, like being an absolute <laughs> fucking asshole. So uh, the townspeople held him down and slashed his throat. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the jail superintendent was shot in the face uh, at a point blank range by someone with a with a pistol, blowing his jaw off, but not killing him. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, and then we remember our, our friend Wendy Wise, uh, the guy who shot Tom Gillespie. He was nearly beaten to death by townspeople, uh, but had was pretty much his life was saved by uh, by the veterans. Um, now, after the tense few minutes, the GIs were able to stop the mass lynching that was occurring in front of them, and then lock their prisoners right back into the jail that they had just taken over, uh, and then posted guards to keep the townspeople and I guess other cops away. I don't know. Probably mostly the townspeople. Um, yeah, now, it sounds like the townspeople. The next ones were like, "I'll throw, I'll throw dynamite too. We're gonna kill them." Yeah. Uh, now, when the smoke cleared, somehow nobody on either side was dead. Uh, even the guy that got his throat slashed managed to survive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that it just did didn't not have the heart in it. Yeah, I mean. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm happy nobody was murdered, uh, but like you would expect someone to be murdered after all this, um, well, especially like, you know, getting lynched. Well, then like the guys who like even like the uh, the guys who got shot in like the initial like encounter, like they were still like kicking around. Oh yeah, yeah, which is right. really weird. Uh, but it, it specifically noted that nobody was murdered, uh, nobody died. Uh, but that didn't stop the New York Times from running a headline the very next day that said, "Quote: Tennessee sheriff is slain in election day violence." It took them weeks to correct it. <laughs> you know, that's my New York Times. Yep. Uh, now, after this, this kind of like an impromptu martial law was put in place by the soldiers themselves. Uh, they patrolled the town and set up outposts. Uh, they also armed townspeople and kind of set up like a collective defense um, because they assumed that Mansfield was going to send the National Guard or another army of cops after them. And they had no intention on surrendering. They were going to fight them, too. Uh, but they never came. Everybody just kind of let them take over, which is not an out- outcome I expected. Um, now, the, uh, the, the, the town folk themselves applauded them for you know, obviously saving them fr- from 10 years of Cantrell fuckery. Uh, but the national news decried them because even in 1946, civility politics were alive and dumb as fuck. <laughs> um, you can't slash the throats of your enemies. That's yeah. just not. It's not very nice. I mean, if you can vote them out, if that doesn't yeah. work, you know, do what you do. If that doesn't work, <laughs> right? If that doesn't work, don't just shoot him in the face. You should protest or something. It's like, no, I think shooting the guy in the face made things change a lot quicker. <laughs> like, what if Bill? What if Bill White was like, guys, guys, I have an idea. I started a U a YouGov petition. I think we can figure this out. Um, so another small side story here. This might, you know, maybe sound familiar. The national news jumped on the town of Athens, but not for the reason that you'd expect. For over a year afterwards, they hung on every single word that came out of Athens and every single crime, which, by the way, Athens was now cop-free. Uh, so they said, like, 
every single time uh, like uh, a crime was reported, like, look at the lawlessness that the GIs have created. And every crime was reported as more evidence of the GIs being the bad guys. Oh. In reality, crime had actually dropped significantly in the absence of organized crime organization known as the McMinn County Sheriff's Office. Like, no one was getting jumped on the side of the road for their paycheck anymore. Oh, yeah. It's, it's weird that that happened. I mean, you know, Lord knows that at least the mainstream media, you know, recognizes its mistake and everything is, you know, is currently, you know, reporting in a very uh, nonpartisan, unbiased way from, like, I don't know, Minneapolis. Uh, yeah yeah Th- thankfully uh they don't uh, do this anymore um yeah. so uh, on uh, the 4th of august pat mansfield telegraphed his resignation uh with, who was the the guy that was uh running in place of cantrell uh and uh governor mccord um the the, the governor of the state Requested that Henry Knox, uh, or sorry, Knox Henry. I always get that ba- that backwards because Knox is definitely a last name. Uh, requested that he fill the unexpired term of the sheriff, uh, which would end on September first. So he was appointed immediately. Uh, and the next day, State Representative George Woods returned to the county under GI protection to convene the election uh, the election commission that certified the election, and Knox Henry was officially made the sheriff. Uh, a cheer rang out in the courthouse when Woods read out the uh, the numbers as Knox was elected by over a thousand votes uh, over his opponent. Now, well, good for them. Yeah, they, um, electoral politics works when you shoot somebody in the face. <laughs> when you when you shoot enough people, things get done. Um, now, <laughs> what? F- what followed? <laughs> the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast does not uh, endorse violent. Yeah, that that is revolution. not a, that is not binding legal advice. Uh, please yeah. do not cite. You know, if you, if you decide to go like weirdly uh, left this soft sit and decide to you know undertake any sort of insurrectionary action, please do not uh, cite this in your inevitable FBI statement. Uh, <laughs> please don't mention us in your manifesto. Yeah, like we we're all good. of this occurred in Minecraft. Right. Um, this has actually had a really weird after effect, which was more fear mongering. Um, oh, the fuck you like say? We, yeah, the, the obviously the uh, the civility thing we talked about, but also the local news and other places were saying that like these nonpartisan World War II veterans were going to start a nationwide movement, you know, effectively forcing the corrupt political establishment to cede power to people who are sick of their shit. Um. Oh no! And yeah, like Not you know, and that. pretty, they pretty much daydreamed about a revolution. Uh, obviously, that never happened. Um, because it turned out that the veterans weren't actually all that, uh, like interested in politics. They really just fucking hated their what was happening in their town. You know, it was very very local. Um, uh, the people all just kind of went home. Uh. Knox Henry served two terms as sheriff before just getting sick of politics and quitting. Uh, and nothing else really came of it. Ugh. Um, to this day that, that, in Athens. That would be my move, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's surprising he did two terms. Like, he was hoping that he could change some stuff, but he really couldn't because that's what happens um, when you think you can change things from the inside. When I think at the end of it, he's like, man, we were only changing things when we were shooting people. Um 
Now, to this day in Athens, from what I could find, uh, and according to the articles that I sourced for this, there's no memorial or signage of any kind that denotes what happened there. That one day where the direct action of a community uprooted and destroyed entrenched American political co- corruption. And, you know, it worked. It's probably, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's no reason that nobody wants to commemorate that with a memorial of any kind. Um, yeah, it's weird that, uh, you know, the national news media and, uh, you know, uh, history books, history textbooks and everything else. It's strange how that, uh, you know, that hasn't been more directly uh, popularized, uh, you know, kind of similar to how it's strange that, you know, like most labor history in the United States hasn't been popularized or even how like, you know, Martin Luther King is now remembered as the kind of this like big huggable teddy bear and not, you know, like a, uh, you know, Christian socialist who like, you know, heavily believed in like workers' rights. The the communist gun owner. Right. Yeah. Who carried a gun with them pretty much everywhere. Yeah. As the, as did pretty much everybody who was in like the civil rights movement back in the day. The, you know, the putatively, uh, you know, nonviolent civil rights movement that was actually like very heavily armed. Just, you know, a thing that you won't rec- read in any textbook. No, everybody joined hand, walked across the bridge, and then suddenly racism ended. Yeah, no, there was the... I'm pretty sure that uh, there was, uh, you know, something about fire hoses and dogs, and then uh, Little Rock, and then, um, you know, and then there was uh, March on Washington, and then and then Obama was elected, and then racism ended in the United <laughs> States. Um, at least that, that that's what I remember from my, uh, from you know, my uh, my understanding of history. So, so Joe, would, yeah. so all, all of this... As you say, all of this happens. They they kick him out. They take over the town, and then nothing. Just nobody ever talks about it again. Does is is this is this one place like particularly liberal or something? Like no. do they? No. <laughs> <laughs> They're no longer the people declaring war on on the Confederacy. I mean, I don't know enough about like modern day McMinn County to say that like they don't they haven't lost the independent streak or whatever. I'm sure they they still have a deeply weird political history, like we all like every locale does if you look far enough. But it, it was a very isolated incident. Um, some GIs attempted to make this like a regional political movement and all pretty much died uh, because you know the political superstructure that hold the, holds the system in place generally aren't okay with people attempting to destabilize it um, with a nonpartisan political party that's mostly just based on, yo, fuck those guys, uh, vote for us instead. Um, But I mean, it died out. Obviously, you know, stuff like this, like we just talked about, we don't like to remember it because it sets a dangerous precedent for people who are in power. Um, It's, you know, kind of like the same reason why people don't like to talk about Shays Rebellion uh, or any other, any other popular movement that's ever happened in the United States. Um, or for it's a more Americans are probably more interested in Spartacus than any of their own slave rebellions. Uh, you know, cause we like, we like to have these things at arm length, arm's length. And my, I mean, I'm not an American historian. I didn't even Amer- uh, major in American history. Um, but it seems like of most people, Americans are deeply uncomfortable with their own militant history when it comes to certain things. Like American history is written by people who wanted to change things figured out they couldn't and then shot it in the face until it changed. Like that's our entire history. (laughs) At at no point was popular sentiment, even during like the revolution full of racist slave owning assholes and libertarians, they realized like, Hmm, we can't solve this in the house of Burgesses. We have to shoot British people. 
Uh, you know, like <laughs> we have to shoot them until they go away. As it turns out, we tried to be nice. You wouldn't go away, so now we have to shoot you. I guess. Well, not even like yeah. not even like shooting, but like literal tar and feathering, which is like such right, a horrific thing awful. when you actually like <laughs> fucking think about it. But like, you know, I mean, like that was you know, I my. Uh, you know, my first office was like directly above, like you know, the scene of the fucking Boston massacre. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, shit like that. You know, is you know directly, you know, related to like the way they like we conduct politics now. But we just kind of, we just kind of think that everything was like you know everyone debated each other until like we got revolution, I guess. And then you know George Washington was just the best person that uh, he he debated uh, you know uh, King George, and like you know that was how the American Revolution was won. And similarly, uh, yeah. you know, Lincoln debated uh, Jefferson Davis, and that's how, like, the Civil War was won. Like, we've just been this, like, you know, weirdly apolitical society somehow that is, like, progressed at this point. Well, I think that's why um, we get a lot of, you know, what we saw, especially in the heat of, like, the height of the protests, especially, like, the autonomous on Seattle, things like that. Uh, you have a, a complete divorcing of reality of American history because they don't want you to know that that's how I say they like the, you know, the monolithical, they uh, like people who read our textbooks, people who debate politics, people who consider themselves wonks of literally any kind um, really don't want to learn that every, I mean, that, that, that's why um, I do a show on military history because history is formed through militant violence. Very few times in history are they not. And that goes almost doubly for American history. Um, I mean, the civil rights movement was very goddamn close of becoming a, mil a militant movement. And it was in a lot of corners. Um, people were shot. There was popular uprisings. People brought guns where they went to keep themselves safe and to, you know, reject the state. These things occurred. Um, they, did they win on their own? No. Did they, did they have a part in it? Yes, absolutely. But it's like, I think that's uh, one of the things that bothers me the most about that is, you know, people act like, uh, rebellions and revolutions are 100% fought with weapons and they're not, you know, every single revolution has a political side of it. You know, uh, the civil rights movement had, uh, you know, civil disobedience alongside militant, uh, rejection. The IRA had political parties operating alongside of it. The Russian revolution had an entire political side of it. The Armenian revolution always has, uh, you know, it's, you work through the ballot and the gun, like that's literal history. And the only thing that changed in recent history is we just don't like to think about it so much because it makes people uncomfortable. I mean, and it, it should, you should not be comfortable with militant violence, but divorcing the two things, like the, the two subs, like how things ended up the way they are, why these GIs came to the point that like, Hmm, this election thing isn't working. Electoralism is not working for us because the people who control electoralism are the ones we're running against. And you're not, they're not going to let you vote them out of power. Right. You know? Uh, so we are going to apply violence until the conditions have been such change until that is the case. Um, that's much more common in history than people are comfortable um, coming to terms with. Well, because, yeah, you know, the, well, yeah. And I mean, like, you know, and, and similarly, like, uh, you know, like um, one of the, one of the, you know, I've recommended to other people, one of the most instructive books I've read over the course of like the last year has been, uh, was called uh, we will shoot back. And it's about the history of like armed violence, and I want to say it was the uh, the Mississippi Civil Rights Movement, like dating all the way back to like, you know, essentially like the, you know the end of Reconstruction and like the beginning of Jim Crow, and like one of the things you realize is that so much of the 
ground that was eventually laid for, you know, different, you know, voter registration campaigns and civil rights campaigns and everything else was, you know, secured by, you know, all these folks who were, you know, from various different nonviolent movements who were able to like go out and organize during the day and then go home to like, you know, go back and sleep at night at a house that was, you know, guarded by folks who were like, you know, hiding out in the bushes with rifles and like taking shifts like on the one road, like to the house, you know, in a car and, you know, intercepting anyone who was along the way, which is not necessarily the way that, you know, ideally a civil society should operate. But it's, you know, at the same time, I mean, there's a reason why there were workers militias in the 1880s. And there's a reason why, you know, strikers responded to Pinkertons with violence in the 1930s. And there's a reason why, you know, civil rights campaigners had to, you know, secure themselves with armed guards in the 1950s and 1960s. I mean, it's always been something where, you know, you really have to make sure that, you know, the ability to engage in those campaigns is something that is, you know, hard fought and hard won and is something that we forget kind of at our peril. So, yeah, I think that I think that's a good way, good way to end this uh, (laughs) before before we commit too many crimes and patron demonetize me. Right. uh, Demonetizes me. Um, Yeah, I think. Uh, that's a that's a good place to end it. We're not going to have a question from the Legion today because everybody's busy watching the election or watching the debate. Um, and I know this this won't come out until not this coming Monday, but the Monday after that. But you know that I guess that's that's how we'll we'll leave you with with that wonderful heartwarming message of militancy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, it's always good to have uh, y'all on, especially when we're talking about off the wall shit that I cannot get away with talking with uh, talking about with anybody else. Uh, so thanks for coming on. Um, and until next time, um, I'm actually not going to figure out a quippy way to end this because whatever I'm going to say is probably illegal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Rewind about 30 minutes and do that instead. 